Hello and welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex and today I am talking to a singer and songwriter whose deeply soulful vocals and lyrics carry profound messages that resonate with everyone who's had the pleasure of hearing her sing and seeing her perform. This Eastern Cape-born musician has created songs that combine soulful folk with symphonic movements, Gosa lyrics with African polyrhythms, and her raw delivery disrupts your senses as she sings of love and loss and home and hope. I am, of course, talking about Asanda Mvana, better known to the rest of South Africa as Msaki. Msaki, welcome. How are you doing? I'm really good, Tex. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How happy Women's Month, firstly. Happy Women's Month to you too. Yeah. How has uh, August been treating you so far? It's been really good. Uh, quite chilled. I've been homey and just taking each day at a time, actually. Haven't done a lot, just working. Yeah. I saw that you were involved in an incredible initiative spearheaded by uh, Platoon, who are an artist uh, service agency, where they got a, a street artist named Bongs to paint this beautiful mural of you and a few other musicians in honor of Women's Month that sits uh, in Maboneng until October. What what does it mean to you to be a part of, of uh, an art project like that that's so striking? I really love it because it's also just, testament to Platoon as an incredible um, platform and and partner actually to work with because they are so creative when they think about marketing and even having that as a vision and as something that, you know, that, that's been executed so well because also Dubongs is so incredible. Like what a great artist. And I think he mm. captured more than just portraits like there's they've got feeling you know so each each of the the, the depictions of the ladies there like i'm like oh, okay i can see i can see the spirit of zalani there oh that's definitely feels like ami and i'm seeing something else about myself that i haven't realized before so it's really really beautiful i love it mm. what is your relationship with platoon because i see that they've been quietly signing up very impressive musicians and then helping fund their projects are you are you releasing your music through them I'm working with them as my creative entity, One Shushu Day Artistry, and also as Alt Black, which is kind of my curation space um, for alternative um, African musicians and also just like moving out to the African diaspora. So they're engaging with me as, you know, as not as an artist really, and we've got like a lot of collaborations that we're going to do. And yeah, some people, I think... That's the cool thing about Platoon is that they're meeting us all at different places. I know some people are signed directly as artists, but even then, that has a different meaning. They've taken the meaning of signing people to a different level because they're not want, they don't want to own anything. They just want to really get the message out and to support people where they where they really need support. Yeah, I suppose, and for an independent artist like yourself, that's. I mean, it's indispensable for a company to sort of come on board or a, a, a service agency to come on board and, you know, provide funds and provide support, but not mess with the creative process. Amazing. And that's the thing is that like, I've found the the support and the non-financial contributions way more valuable because, you know, I've been doing this for a while. So the, the funds weren't really the issue. It was just like someone to sometimes think with that's outside of my creative space, that's outside of my business lens and and some people to sort of forecast with that have got experience and, and a sort of specialized knowledge in this. You know, and Denzel is amazing. He's like one of the most incredible minds I've ever met. And so is the, the team at Platoon, like Hagar and Lulama. There's just incredible women there that are working and are 
quietly, silently doing such an amazing work in the background for a lot of artists. That's incredible. I also uh, wanted to say congratulations on the launch of your new single, Blood, Guns and Revolutions. I mean, it really is a gorgeous and very powerful piece of music. And I think what strikes well, what strikes me and, you know, maybe people who listen, the, the opening lyrics, and you talk about 4,000 rounds of bullets ready to break black bodies. It's such an incredibly powerful lyric. How, how do you tap into such intense subject matter like that to do it justice? Where do you go in your creative process? Oh, my. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you, yeah, I'm glad that the song resonates and, it's you know, beautiful. it struck a chord with you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, I don't know, Tex, I would be lying if I if I said <laughs> that I had a any kind of understanding of what that process is like. All I know is that this is definitely a way that I've been given to navigate through life, whether it's joyous times, whether it's de- like deeply traumatic times. So at a time, you know, where you're trying to make sense of the place that you're in, you're trying to make sense of black pain and trying to locate, you know, where all these feelings go and where this trauma goes when it hasn't been dealt with. For me, art is always a place to go, you know, mm-hmm. almost almost as a way to petition in the spirit for things that can't be petitioned for in this plane. Because I'm like, guys, really? I mean, justice for black bodies, is it something to really hope for without having heartbreak? Because it seems like we protest, we protest, and then we still come out with by being almost free or we almost get that thing. You know, mm-hmm. I think of my friends that were, giving up so much to be part of the fallest movement to only almost get there and to even be criminalized for some of the activities and for the things that they really wanted to stand up for. So it's hard to protest and to see nothing happen. And that's why like song for me is a place to, to try and gather some kind of strength or some courage to try and bring back into my real life to be like, okay, what needs to happen on this plane as a black person to try and strive for justice? Cause man, it's, it's daunting. And I mean, now it couldn't be a better time to release a song like that with everything that's going on socially and politically on a local scale, but also on a global scale, because, you know, Black Lives Matter has never been more relevant. And I I mean, (laughs) I saw a, a meme the other day basically saying like, why was it was a picture saying like, why is equality so hard? Like, what i mean this this debate is so intense like why is it so difficult to achieve something that should be so universally accepted honestly that's the that's the question you know that really is the question and the thing is if you look at something as deep as for instance white supremacy you're like that is actually a disease so Mm. why are we out here trying to engage with um a really like depleted sense of reality. Like how did people even get to this point where they thought that they were better because of their skin color? And then, then that shifts a whole like way of, of navigating economy of how people deal with capital of how people deal with space and time. It's the weirdest thing. And we'll forever try to figure out how it happened, but here we are dealing with the daily like repercussions of it. And, Mm -hmm. and, And those are the things that, that hurt people and they don't have the language for it. Am I correct in saying that Blood, Guns and Revolutions is about what happened at Marikana? I mean, I feel like that could be one part of the song, but I also feel like it's very layered in terms of the lyrics and where you go. I think it's probably where I come from. Where I come from is the the, the part that's um, 
most complicated for me because the Margana part is the simplest one. That's that's where I end up. In South Africa, a deadly confrontation at the world's third largest platinum mine. We need to warn you that this video is extremely graphic. You're going to see police opening fire on striking workers. It's believed the miners who are demanding better pay were armed with guns, machetes and sticks. They charged police and, and then there was this. where I'm just like, oh, well, here we are. How did this happen when we, you know, are a country that has such a painful past and mm. that, like, in 1976 we had a, you know, a massacre um, and in and now in this supposed new democracy, how does it, you know, how does that, like, repeat, you know? So the, the place where I'm coming from is is more... It's complicated text, and that's the thing is like art for me holds all those questions, all those complications, all those all that disillusionment, all that confusion, all the gratitude. That's it. It can hold all of that because it's a conversation with the previous generation saying, "Look, you know, some of you gave up your youth for this, and you were out there running away from yellow, mellow yellow. Some of you crossed borders to go and train in the MK. You're willing to lose your life for this freedom, and here it is, and it doesn't make sense. The shape of it doesn't feel right because yeah. of what." Inequality is, you know, like inequality is just that the deep ravines of inequality in this country slap us in the face every single day as young black people. And so for me, it was like, what does youth mean for me if I'm trying to figure out this legacy and what this inheritance is? And that's what I go through for the first two verses. I'm just like, okay, the, you know, the gaze of the martyrs lies heavy on our wills, thick in the throat of youthful self-inflicted guilt. Mm. We didn't even know. We didn't have words for for freedom. We didn't know how to live it out because it felt so unfree. And that was just because so much was not addressed when, you know, power shifted hands. So that, that's, that's where it starts. And that's the tough part for me, because how do you articulate that? And, and literally, like, art is all I have to ask these questions. So your art is also a way for you to process what's happening in the world. Definitely. So that's why it's got all these open-ended things, because I don't have any of the answers. I think, um, you know, a, a lot of us have had time during lockdown, much more time than, you know, any of us were prepared for, um, to, I mean, I know I have to reflect on, you know, how I live my life and my certain life choices and maybe some of my habits are a bit toxic. Um, but I've, I've also had extra time to work on creative projects um, and to, you know, read the book that, I, I wanted to read that I haven't gotten to, or um, I mean, for me specifically, you know, it's it's reading based and work based. But have you have you been have you used this time to engage in any sort of new activities, or have you been prioritizing your time to spend it with family? How how have you has anything changed for you during lockdown? Definitely, and it's a bit of both of what you say. Um, one out of necessity, I've had to just learn some skills really fast because I don't have a great engineer on hand. <laughs> I've had to like get better at using programs and send stuff off by myself with confidence. You know, um, I also have felt quite a demand on that sort of personal life, like personal time and work time, mm. and everything collapsing into each other has been really hard. I've struggled, you know, with just, just having enough energy to do family stuff, be present for the kids, meet deadlines, send stuff off and like have time to, you know, be a present partner. It's been, it's been hard. I don't want to lie. 
Mm. Um, and so, so for me, like no extra things, like picking up skills, it's literally just like getting through the day, being able to take a little bit of a rest before waking up at one o'clock to have my own time so that I can be an artist. And like every day is a miracle for me right now. <laughs> like getting work done is just, I'm like, okay, well done. And then we move on to the next day. And if I'm not able to do everything that I, I wanted to do, then it's also just like learning how to give myself a bit of grace, catch a breath, have a bit more energy and then try again. Because it's you and your partner and how many babies at home? I've got three kids. So <laughs> five, three and 11 months as of two days ago. Okay. So they're all, they're oh, all wow. little and they need, yeah, they need like, the thing is that people don't know that kids under five don't know how to even bath themselves properly. <laughs> like you can put them in the bath, but you need to intervene, you know, before you take them out. You need to figure, you know, some, like my three-year-old thinks she can dress herself, but she puts everything on backwards. And because <laughs> she thinks, like, she wants to be independent, it makes it take twice as long. And by the time everybody's washed and fed, you're, half the day is gone, guys. Like, it's 12. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, and you have emails and you're tired and you have, like, I haven't showered. What's the time? No, I haven't had time to shower today. I'm going to shower <laughs> after this interview. <laughs> So, but yeah, like small people are amazing because that's also just what you need to pull yourself out of your own funk. So just mm -hmm. like showing up for them in the practical ways has actually also saved me from my own mind, from my own like dips in my emotions as well, you know, because they don't deserve any of that. And I think that's really what makes me grateful for motherhood. A hundred percent. And then, I mean, apart from blood guns and revolution you released a track with sanal musician which i actually <laughs> was the last track i heard on the radio on the way to record this um this afternoon so i was like it's a sign and Umi abu manga is just it's so beautiful and i was in the car with my dad and my dad was like oh this song is dope and i was like yes actually I'm, I'm going to like interview the the vocalist on this track for my podcast, and he was like, "Oh, tell her I love it." I'm like, oh, cool. That's so cool. <laughs> that's but, so sweet. Oh my gosh. I mean, essentially, like that's a track that talks about being like stuck without any idea of like how to move forward. And I think that in a time like this, it's a sentiment that a few people, more than a few people, can relate to. Like, do you think that the the success of the song at this time maybe feels a bit ironic. Definitely, I really think so. And it's, I got tweeted the other day by someone who said, "Musagi, you lied, which means like you lied. Life has come to a standstill." And I found <laughs> part of me is like wants to say, "Put your big old panties on," but I'm also like, "Look, you know, it's also an opportunity to move with sympathy and to be like, I know things are not easy, but you really need to speak yourself out of this because." things are not going to be like this forever. And that's what, the, that's what the song says, you know, that like there's something on the other side of this. And even if we can only at that day when your life feels like everything is stuck, like the birds are still chirping, the sun is going to rise. We really need to find a way to dig deep and like keep trying, you know, because, because at the end of the day, nothing is going to happen if you don't try. Even that like... Nothing is going to move if you don't at least try. That's yeah. all we can do. We can show up and try. What's that saying? It's never the things you did do that you regret. It's the things that you don't. That's the saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the one. So so let's go back to the beginning of your career. Um, when did you realize that music could 
and would be a viable career option for you. Am I right in saying that you were quite a late bloomer? Most definitely. Yeah, quite quite late to wake up to I think I think my own artistry in general. And I did take a little bit of a detour route to get here and it was through visual art where I saw that creativity is quite a, a powerful force and one that is desperate for my attention in my life. And that was late. It was I, I didn't choose to go study something creative. I went to study law after school and ended up moving to graphic design, which followed on to um, darkroom photography, which led me to fine art. And that led me to music, which is insane. But that's that's literally what happened. Yeah, that's incredible. And do you think it's safe to say that you'll feature on Moby Dixon's Love Color Spin, which was released in 2015, I think, if I'm correct. Do you think that was what set things off in terms of launching you into the mainstream specifically? Definitely. Yeah, because I had been playing, you know, these tiny shows, trying to build my audience as indie musicians do, you know, with a guitar and the boots and a, and a pack of EPs. <laughs> and yeah, essentially, that's, that's my humble beginning, just trying to figure myself out in the live space. And at the time, I was also contributing to simultaneously building a little bit of a performance community here in East London, you know, joining, joining some poetry circles, starting some stuff for live music. Um, and and also just like needing to do it close to home because my parents were just petrified of this industry and I needed to demystify a little bit of its aspects to them. Um, I mean, we had the the big scary story of Zahara who went to Joburg and got exploited. So it wasn't yeah. going to work for me to, you know, pack my, my bags and go to Joburg and try and start this thing in the big city lights. I had to start small and close to home. But Moby Dixon, yeah, he's the one because he found me in that space where I was at home playing. And um, we recorded Love Color Spin in like 10 minutes. And then... In 10 minutes? It was, it was, it was a take. It was just one take. And then he, I left and I, and I you know, had been running away from him because I was like, why would I want to come into a house track? Even though I loved house. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't see it. You know, I was like, ah, okay. All right, then I'll come. And he came. He literally picked me up from uh, a small show I had done at the Arts Theatre. And was like, come, let's go to studio now. And if he hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't be in the space that I'm in. So it's quite a game changer. Shout out Moby. Yeah, Moby. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> but like that puts you on the radar of other DJs and producers as well. And I mean, you've collaborated with Black Coffee and then more recently with Prince KB on Fetch Your Life, which I mean, I'll be very honest like it's one of the most inspirational house tracks I think I've ever heard and that's owing for me that's owing largely in part to your vocals that are just exquisite what are your what are your feelings around the success of of Fetch Your Life and also the inspirational like movement of sorts that it's inspired for people to literally go out and fetch their lives which I think is amazing that's pretty insane that's pretty insane uh, quickly I was so shocked to actually find out that Black Coffee had a copy of my EP so he what? claims to have known about me before Moby dropped the song. <laughs> but I know I know a lot of DJs didn't know about me and I got so many requests to collaborate after that. So um, one is definitely Prince KB. And I that, that song is still the gift that keeps on giving. Like the stories and the testimonies from it literally deserve a documentary. And I'm trying to connect with some of the people that have given me feedback about the incredible things that they've done. And... I'm, I'm always in awe of them because I'm like, you guys think that this is about a song. Like you took a step 
Mm. Out of many steps that you had taken before to get to that point where you were like, okay, I'm going to make the decision to leave my job and start a bakery or I'm going to leave this toxic relationship. It's insane stories like that where people have just gone and fetched their lives. And and for me, this is also funny that like this is now a saying, you know, in pop culture. And mm. Dare I say pop culture? No, I mean like on Twitter, <laughs> some people say, people say fetch your life. And I'm just like, oh, wow, that came from somewhere in my brain. That's so strange, you know? So yeah, fact- it, really, it really moves me. A friend of mine posted a photo the other day, a selfie. Like <laughs> when people post their selfies, then then they've got this inspirational quotes. And she posted a selfie, and the caption was "Fetch your life." <laughs> wow! 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 I was oh like, I've got to tell you that. <laughs> I think you'll appreciate that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, but another pretty fantastic partnership that you've been involved in is your one with Trezor. And I mean, you've released two tracks together. You did Sondela and then you did Pills to a Swine. But I, well, Pills to Swine. But I wanted to talk about Pills to Swine because I love that music video. Um, and for me, like the monochromatic set and the styling was like so on point and it reminded me a lot of like a Wes Anderson type aesthetic. And I know that you directed that video as well, which is like even more impressive. How did you approach that project? So thank you so much. Yeah, you, I can't believe you picked up all those things, but I, um, which means that I've done my Wes Anderson nod a bit of justice because <laughs> I love his sort of sim- like symmetrical way of dealing with, um, with, with direction of photography. And just, I, I'm, I'm just in awe of, of artists like that because that's a, he's communicating something emotional with mm-hmm. a technical choice. You know? So for me, that was like, well, this relationship is so like symmetrical and well cropped and everything's in the center, but there's no love. It's in this concrete bland house. You know, everything is like muted tones and, and, and every once in a while you see flashes of silver, mm. which was meant to be like symbolic of the, you know, silver lining every you know because we're dealing with we're dealing with some hectic um are they figures of speech no what are the what are those english sayings those old things like after pride comes the fall please help me no No. what is it called what is that called i mean you would Um, never say that i studied english because i have absolutely no idea (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't matter those funny sayings like after pride comes the fall and what's the other one the People, one that the song is based on is p- throwing pearls, casting pearls to swine or something like swine. that. People before who swine, yes. are listening to this podcast and who know the answer to the question <laughs> are literally screaming right now. They're like, it's blah, blah, blah. Why do you not know that? It happens. It happens. We'll think of it like, I don't know. You'll think of it once you've left. I'll think of it when I finally get to shower. It doesn't matter. I tell you what, now. whatever the actual word to that is, that's what we're calling this episode. That'll be the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll never forget. That'll make, that'll make my life. Yeah. No, that's fine. I was just I just hope my English teacher's not listening, but um I had fun, man. I just had fun. It was just another way to express creativity for me. It's just another language that's been afforded. So I um basically started storyboarding the song quite soon after I wrote it. And it's this cheeky wink at love, you know, in a sort of long-term setup where you start taking each other for granted. And you're not seeing how the other person is communicating love. And it's funny because like Trezor's character is like complaining about how, you know, (laughs) nine to five, I know where he is all the time, blah, blah, blah. And the girl's just like, I'm trying to show you all this love emotionally and you don't see it. And Mm. it happens all the time where people are talking past each other. But like, 
in their mind, they're showing love, but they're missing the mark, you know? So I think all the visuals had to speak to that. And that's all it was. It was about um, communicating all that inside knowledge in a visual space. And the team that I had at my disposal was insane. Crazy, crazy, crazy team. Art direction, co-art directing, and also just production design was Unatim Konto who's incredible. I mean, he's useful from wardrobe to to like prop making, to conceptualizing costumes with me, to, you know, and there's also Gift who does all my outfits during the year when I'm performing. Performing live in front of people. Oh my God. <laughs> RIP. For now. For now. <laughs> Let's not get too dramatic. <laughs> I'm, just taking, I'm just taking a moment of silence here. Thank you. <laughs> and then also my friend, oh, my good friend, Francois from Rhodes. He was in my art class and I love him to bits. Um, he was a sculpture major and now does like a lot of digital art. And he did, he made these cotton, this cotton wool clouds and like made an entire silver tube installation out of like, what, what's that? Um, vent stuff uh, air conditioning vent oh wow he put, he put together this incredible installation I just had to stand in front of it in a striking silver outfit and yeah go through all the go through all the emotions go through the most on camera that's all it was fun making a video with my friends actually I, had, I, I miss that life <laughs> Um, just as a side note, what is your favorite, because I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan what is your favorite Wes Anderson movie? For me, it has to be the Budapest Hotel. I'm dying thinking about it right now. I love the Budapest, the Royal Budapest Hotel. Absolutely stunning movie. And your yeah. your favorite and character? Your- What's your favorite character in Budapest Hotel? Who's your? It'll have character? to be the bellboy. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! He's so great. He's so great. His expressions. I'm just like guys. So for me, I was also channeling that because I'm not a good actress, right? So just some of the expressions, like trying to communicate through, like. Yeah, I also have a weird faces. sense of humor. Yeah, like I've got a weird sense of humor, so I'm just so glad that some people get that video because others were just like, it's like he's strange. And then moved on. You know what? It's good to be a bit weird, though. Let's be honest. Hey, man. Weird people unite. And now for something completely different. This world is too straight, guys. Yo. So I love the Grand Budapest Hotel, but my favorite Wes Anderson film is The Royal Tenenbaums. I'm obsessed. Oh, that's also amazing. I don't you just love dysfunctional families as well. Yes, because I, 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 my family is very dysfunctional, and my parents listen to this podcast. So, mommy, daddy, I love you, but, <laughs> but you know we are. You know that we're oh, slightly no. unhinged, and that's okay because who wants to be normal, right? I think the best art comes from families that have a bit of a you know jagged story to tell. Oh, I love that. (laughs) So, I mean, we've been talking a lot about your collaborations, but your solo career and body of work is equally as striking and noteworthy. And your debut album, Zanelisa, How the Water Moves, that you released in 2016, was heavily influenced by the ocean and the waves and the way that the water moves. And and you you also released it independently. Was that at the same time that you started your label One Shushi Day Artistry that you were talking about earlier? It was no, it wasn't. So 2013, I released an EP called Nali Tamba. Ah, uh, okay. Which which was yeah, it was a bit of a, a a kind of snapshot. Like okay, this is what I'm thinking, and this is where I'm facing. And it was it was I saw it as a business card, as a way to talk about how I wanted to go about the the full EP. So some of the songs have been extended into bigger ideas. They, they are from the EP. And I think there's only one or two things that I didn't redo from the EP. So Zanelisa is 2016. That's three years later. But mm. 
But that EP really helped me think about what happens from a song from inception, you know, in my own personal private space to um, the crowd's reception. Mm. Uh, I even have this little document that I'm making for independent artists called From Conception to Inception. Oh, wow, really? <laughs> that's I'm try- trying to find a name that's less corny, but I can't take away the cheese completely from, from No, but I life. love that name because also it rhymes. Anything that rhymes in my book is great. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. I'm definitely going to do it. I've been working on it for a while, just all the things to think about um, in between making, yeah, creating and sharing. So yeah, I, I 2016 was when I released the album, but the One Shishu Day artistry is kind of my vehicle to do things all creative. And it's been an amazing learning experience. I'm so happy that you say that you're creating this um, document for independent artists, because I, uh, I mean, I saw the other day that Jackie Queens recently put out a four-page how-to guide for house music producers and collaborators that basically details everything that you need to know from like the splits to the paperwork to releasing and from your experience contributing to tracks that have gone on to become huge hits in South Africa was it vital for you to have a hand in things like contractual aspects from the beginning and like not just um, be involved creatively yeah, definitely. I mean, these are always tough conversations because we are engaging heart to heart and artist to artist and creative to creative. And sometimes not having these conversations intentionally can bring up a lot of tension in the, in the you know, like later on. So I'm really glad that Jackie's doing this. It's a most vital, vital document. And sometimes I say like when you care about the relationship, you put the paper down mm. quite quite soon actually so that you protect the relationship. And that's a lesson that I think I didn't learn early enough. And some conversations have had to happen in retrospect and they're not always easy to have, but I'm, I've been lucky to be blessed with people that are really great and have got good hearts and are, you know, have good intentions. So I've, you know, I've, I've come out on the other side of it, like well prepared, but also not to take anything for granted, especially communication within creative spaces. Well, once you've put your document together, please let me know because I would love to feature it on text in the city. Cause I feel like the more, I work a lot with unsigned and, and underground artists, and I think the more artists get their ha- that can get their hands on that document, the better. I'd love to share it. Yeah, I'll definitely will give you a heads up when it's done. Yay! So you you've played numerous festivals and events, but you have to tell me about being invited by the Prince of Bahrain to perform at Two Seas Sessions, which, I mean, it, it's an acoustic event held in a studio located in the capital of Bahrain. Like, where, I mean, when you get the email or the call or whatever it was saying that, like, the prince wants to fly you over to perform, like, what's the first thought that goes through your mind? I just, I thought it was insane. <laughs> the, the agent that they hired to call me had to repeat it a few times because I was like, excuse me, what do you, what do you mean? What's, where are you taking me? You know, like who else has gone there and come back alive? I need proof, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Oh my God. Weird. Are they taking but me I there to see, like traffic I me? <laughs> you never, you no, know. Oh, no, I, I didn't think of that at all, but I was like, which shake wants me to come and serenade him <laughs> while feeding him grapes, you know? <laughs> but but I did see a video of the King of Bahrain getting escorted by a giant robot the other day, which was really, really Oh I'm my sick. gosh, I saw that too. I saw that on Twitter and he was wearing this funny shirt. <laughs> it was, that was crazy. 
But I went and met the most amazing, gentle people that love music. It's a family that's just crazy about music, but because of their status in society, they can't express it as, you know, as freely as other citizens. And so what they've done with their passion for music is that they've built this incredible studio, which has been visited by people like Michael Jackson. Frequently, there's so many like wow. little love notes from Michael all around that studio. What? <laughs> hey, friends. Had a great time. Thanks for having me again, you know. Eric Clapton had left his guitar there and was the last visitor before me. And I, mm-hmm. they were like, would you like to perhaps try on Eric's guitar? And before falling over, I touched it and like, I was like, okay, fine. I'll, my, my harpist, my friend, Sophie, that I was there with, she's French. She was like, oh, but you have to. <laughs> and, then I, and then I played, yeah, some of my songs on Eric Clapton's guitar. So wait, 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 wait. So you played Eric Clapton's guitar in... A studio in Bahrain that's basically owned by like the royal family. Pretty much. That was that was my life for a long weekend. Oh. I mean yeah. I mean you've lived. Let's just, let's just say that. And then the Prince of Bahrain made me steak and I was a vegan at the time. So I had to politely like move around the plate, you know, while this had this beautifully made steak was sitting there. Yeah. So what kind of steak was it? <laughs> One of those like really thick ones. Uh, I don't know what kind of steak that is. I'm not really... A thick cut steak, whatever. We'll just leave like it at that. a really, really thick cut. Yeah, it looked like a brick. What else was on the plate apart from the steak? Oh, I don't know. It's just, uh, it was like a huge buffet, but he had made the steak himself. Oh, and no. So I was, I, yeah, I was like, okay, I can't say no right now. I have to try find a way to... Yeah, make it work. <laughs> oh my gosh! But apart from two C's, I mean that. But that's that's like a, a sort of like a life, you know, one of those like life goals, one of those moments. But apart from that, what what's been one of your most memorable performances for whatever reason? Like one that stands out to you? Let me have a think. I think every time I play with Naomi Younger, I'm just like I'm, I look at my life and I, I, I you know, I'm just like, is this real? Because like, he's become. I, I, have I been finishing my life? I don't know. <laughs> I was like, what did I possibly do in my sleep to deserve this? No, he's. I mean, the thing is, he's an incredible musician. He's now my co-producer, and he's been my sounding board for this project I've been working on. And Blood Guns and Revolutions is co-produced with him. But I remember, um, he, he actually is the the writer to one of my favorite songs in the world called "Born in the Ta- Born in a Taxi." So sometimes I'm like, okay, is this happening? And that and and so we play quite often together. So I wouldn't really have a specific place. But the one concert where I had to pinch myself, I was standing in the Berlin concert hall, um, in the middle of town. I don't know what what is it called, but I was there with the with the German youth orchestra, and we were playing songs that were made famous. They folk songs that were made famous by Miriam Makeba, and I got to perform. Uh, in, a, in a sort of long tour in Germany and in South Africa with, the, with with this talented young bunch of musicians. But all of these songs had ca- kind of been rearranged for orchestra by Heinrich Hofmeier. Oh, wow. So that, yeah, it was just surreal because it was like, I have such a uh, an intimate relationship with Miriam's music. I even reference her song, that a song that she made famous also called Jigilema Weni Siahamba at the end of blood guns and revolutions and she refers to it as the retreat song which is ironic because the miners were shot as they were retreating and so i have this like other conversation with her on a plane as an artist that i 
that I'm really starting to value with her work. And so being able to perform her work for me was just a highlight. That's incredible. Um, what, what are some of the other things that you're busy working on now in lockdown? Like apart from blood guns and revolutions, is there anything else in the pipeline that you can maybe share with us? I'm working on a few projects for film. So I'm writing um, some music for a, a documentary film on post-apartheid South Africa. And it's quite an intimate look at, you know, what happened to some of us that were quickly integrated into the quote-unquote rainbow nation and what that intimacy looks like and what it broke to kind of revolve. Uh, yeah, like what it's evolved to become. Looking at, you know, concepts like white privilege and looking at what's going on in South Africa today. So it's, it's, it's very hard work, but it's also really close to the stuff that I usually work on in my own in my own life, in my own time. And I'm also doing a few scoring projects for um, for some other documentaries, one being a Kenyan documentary on a, a lacrosse team. Oh, uh, wow. Lacrosse, a lacrosse team, yeah. The first African lacrosse team to go to the national champs, and it's a bunch of girls from Kenya, and, and it's an amazing story. So I'm doing some, some work for that. But mostly writing for other artists and working on my own sophomore album. That's all I've been doing. Yeah. That's incredible. But Msaki, I just wanted to say thank you very much for joining me on this part. It's been a real honor and I've been wanting to talk to you for a very long time. And I hope that one day we can do this in person because that would be phenomenal. Amazing. Yeah, I'm really glad. I'm really glad that we could do this. I'm happy that you're home in Cape Town. Yay! In a good space. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much for this. And I and I really appreciate the time and space to go a little bit deeper in some of these things. It's it's quite a rare occurrence in this uh, industry. So thank you. Ah, uh, it's only a pleasure. Four thousand Four thousand rounds of bullets Ready to break black bodies again. For vultures more tree vans And whose hands, whose hands of blood
nothing still All the museums are filled With stories of your ill-rewarded Heroic deeds The gaze of the martyrs Falls heavy on our wills Thick in the throats of youthful Self-inflicted guilt You see the cush of your youth Was blood, guns and revolutions Bullets in the air now Tear gas in your heart You see the cush of your youth Was blood and subscribe and rate on whatever platforms you stream your podcasts on. 
Head on over to texttalks.com for all our previous episodes. And remember, that's Tex with a double X. From me, your host, Tex, producers Jonathan Ings and Matthew Lewitz, and research and associate producer Al Clapper. Catch you on the flip side.